Welcome, 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 everyone. Thank you for joining me on HMG Podcast. Thank you. I am your host, Hashem Garrett. For the last few episodes, I've been reading excerpts and stories from a book called Why Forgive, written by Mr. Johann Christoph Arnold, who's no longer with us. And in today's show, I will share with you a story about a gentleman that I met years ago. And his story is in this book, Why Forgive? And his name is Delph Francham. And then I'd like to read another story to you about a shooting that took place in the Amish community back in 2006. And again, these stories can be found in a book, Why Forgive? So let's get started. This chapter is called Forgiving Ourselves with Del Friendship. The author goes, for many people, the problem of guilt cannot be solved with another's forgiveness or by an external means at all. For them, peace of mind comes only when they are able to forgive themselves. I first met Del Francham in 1954. That was the year he moved from the United States to the remote South American village where I grew up and began to reach to teach at the local school. There were 11 of us in his class, all boys and all ruffians. And a few days into his first term, we decided to put him to the test. One typical Paraguayan morning, humid and around 110 degrees, we offered to take him on a hike. Officially, we wanted to show him the sights. Privately, we wanted to see what he was made of. After leading him at least 10 kilometers through jungle, prairie, and swampland, he finally turned back. Shortly after we arrived home, he collapsed with heat stroke. Delph was in bed for days, but we hardly gave it a thought. We had achieved exactly what we wanted, proved him a sissy. But we were in for a small surprise. The day he came back to school, he said, boys, Let's try that hike again. We couldn't believe it. We covered the same route again, and sure enough, this time he did not succumb to the heat. Delph won out our respect and our hearts that day, and we trusted him from then on. There was something else to it, too. A talented athlete. He taught us football and loved to play with us. Decades later, and only by chance, I found out why Delph had poured so much love and energy into reaching his students. He had lost a child of his own. Nicholas was born when the Franchins were still living in the United States, and one day as Delph was backing a pickup load of firewood into their driveway, 20-month-old Nicholas, who was playing outdoors, ran to meet his father. Delph did not see him until it was too late and ran over him. Katie, Delph's wife, was busy inside the house when he carried in their little boy limp in his arms, she remembers. I was beside myself, absolutely frantic, but Delph steadied me. We took Nicholas to our doctor, who was also the coroner, and explained what had happened. There was never any question about forgiving my husband, as I knew I was just as much to blame. Likewise, he did not blame me, only himself. We stood in our sorrow together. Delph, however, could not forgive himself, and the accident haunted him for years. From then on, he went out of his way to make time for children, time he could not spend with the son he had killed. Looking back, I remember how his eyes often glistened with tears and wonder what it was that made them come. 
Was it that he saw his son in us? Was he imagining the boy, his toddler, would never become whatever the reason? It seems that Delph's determination to show love to others was his way of making up for the anguish he had caused himself and his family by unintentionally taking a life. I am convinced that it saved him from brooding and from nursing his feelings of guilt. Through loving others, he was able to forgive himself and again and regain a sense of wholeness and peace. It was the story of Delph Francham, who, as you heard, unfortunately killed his son. And the amazing part about that story is I remember doing speaking engagements with Delph in United Kingdom and over in the UK. And the students would sit there on the edge of their chairs as he would recant that story. And it was always fascinating to to see in the the responses from the children and to hear the responses of the children of how courageous it was for him to get up there and share a story as emotional as it was. And I can say firsthand, I, I saw him pour into a lot of kids and he was always filled with compassion and uh, yeah, he was a phenomenal gentleman. And so today I want to now just finish up with, so that was a story about learning how to forgive yourself. But what if you're not the one who's the perpetrator, right? And so let's let's take a journey on this story. It says, on October 2nd, 2006, a milk truck driver named Charles Roberts walked unannounced into a one-room Amish school near his home in eastern Pennsylvania and ordered the boys and the teachers to leave. After tying the legs of the remaining girls, Roberts prepared to shoot them execution style with an automatic rifle and 600 rounds of ammunition that he bought for the task. The oldest girl, a 13-year-old, begged Roberts to shoot me first and let the little ones go. Refusing her offer, he opened fire on all of them, killing five and leaving the others critically wounded. He then shot himself as police stormed the building. No one may ever know his real motive, but Roberts apparently told the children in the school that he was angry at God for taking his little daughter, who had died as a baby several years earlier. Within hours, the story captured the attention of the news media around the world. By evening, television crews had clogged the small village of Nickel Mines. They stayed for almost a week until the killer and the victims were buried. Brutal as it was, the massacre itself was soon eclipsed by a remarkable second chapter to the story. The forgiving attitude of the families who had lost their daughters. In fact, the blood was barely dry on the schoolhouse floor when members of this deeply religious community approached their parents and the widow of the gunman to offer their sympathy and to ask how they were doing. It went beyond talk. The Amish even set up a fund for the shooter's widow and her children. Food, too, was collected for the gunman's family. On the same day of the massacre, a reporter came across an Amish man making the rounds of several local farms, gathering donations. Most surprising, grieving families accounted for about half of the people who attended the killer's burial, during which they again reached out to his widow, 
Marie, and her three children. Outsiders generally admire their Amish, but in this case, many found their response to the killings hard to believe. As one TV anchor said, all religions teach forgiveness, but no one really does it like the, like the Amish are trying to. What is the difference? I don't think it was easy for the Amish to forgive. I know many and I have friends who know some of the affected families. They are no saintlier than others. Indeed, for them, as for most people, forgiving was not a one-time decision. It took struggle and recommitment, sometimes daily. One of the victims spent months in a coma. Others were brain damaged and will always require special nursing care. Some of the families are so fearful that they are still schooling their children at home. Everyone involved will be dealing with the residue of that horrifying morning for the rest of their lives. But as far as open anger or hostility goes, the Amish hold, as they have for centuries, that it is destructive, a waste of energy that will hold them hostage and ultimately kill them, just like their daughters were held hostage and killed by someone else's anger. To these devout followers of Jesus, the only answer is the one he offered on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' attitude is not a popular one in our day, even in religious quarters. And in the rare instances where it is promoted publicly, the response is often skeptical, if not downright cynical. Such was the case in 2005 when the Serbian Orthodox Church surprised observers across Europe by asking for forgiveness for its support of the Milosevic regime. We honestly offer our Albanian co-citizens reconciliation and mutual forgiveness, it said in the opening sentence of a public statement. Critics belittled the apology as a political motive, but there were others who embraced the chance for a dialogue. They noted that whatever its effect, it was the first such attempt to honestly address the hatreds that had led to one atrocity after another across the regime for most of the previous decade. So we'll stop there and just say forgiveness is a, it's a journey. It's not something that we do one time. Sometimes we have to forgive the same offense, multiple, multiple millions and hundreds and thousands of times. Sometimes it's learning how to forgive ourselves to hopefully find wholeness again. Sometimes it's in the case of that shooter who walked into the nickel mines into that one room armor school and he was angry with God and it's just trusting that God knows best. And also Jesus' prayer was not your will, not my will, but your will be done, Father. And it's hard to make sense of what happens in this world. Sometimes it feels really unfair. Sometimes we're going through some difficult experiences and moments in life and feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Perspective is everything. It could always be worse. Perspective is everything. This too shall pass. Perspective is everything. The Father knows best. And so I hope that today's stories about using these examples of forgiveness and whether it is the story of forgiving yourself 
or the story of using forgiveness to help heal the wounds that the world can't see. And so I, Hashem and Garrett, sign off today. I thank you for anyone who listens, and I hope that this is in some way impactful. I've often I've come to realize and come to learn that this message isn't for everyone, but it is for someone. So HMG is signing out and I will leave you with the message that I always leave you with. And it is this, whatever is rare or unique has enormous value. And it is the same with you. It's no accident who you are. God made you for a special purpose. God gave you a task and a purpose that nobody else can do as well as you can. Out of billions of applicants, only one has qualified you. Only one has the right combination of what it takes, and that one is you. You are very special. Thank you. Stay well. Hashem Garrett, signing out.